right now. Get off. Good morning. Get off of Are my you porch. Shoot me? I will shoot you. Get off of my porch. Can you tell me. Jackie Lacey that we're here? I don't care. Who you are, mm -hmm. get off of my porch we'll get off your right porch. now. We're calling the police Good. right now. Good. Wow. He pulled a gun and pointed it at my chest. We're here for the community meeting, Jackie Lacey. Jackie Lacey, Maybe you'll shoot me in the back. Uh, this is Chris Roth here with Bushido Scroll with your weekly knock activism wrap up today. We're going to be talking uh, a lot about coronavirus, but also uh, we've got some May Day protests, uh, some rent strike action, as well as uh, some interesting conspiracy theories that we're going to be diving into a little bit here because uh, there's a particular bee in our bonnet, as it were, uh, for both uh, Bushido and I. Oh, it looks, it looks like my... No, actually, our audio is working perfectly. Um, there's a bit of a bee in our bonnets when it comes to uh, things that we are seeing on YouTube and just some conspiracy theories that are, are, are propagating out there that are absolutely disgusting and obnoxious, and we need to talk about them. So uh, how how's uh, week six of quarantine going for you, Bushido? Uh, it's going pretty well. It's, uh, you know, obviously, we're still doing the mutual aid network, so... That's coming along really well. I'm gonna. We've raised almost one hundred and fifty thousand um, dollars from a few different sources. Uh, we're continuing to like put out deliveries, but like the thing about these mutual aid networks is they're always kind of a constant reorientation and constantly figuring out how to do things better and be more reliable. So we're growing. If you want to get involved, head over to mutualaidla.org. Uh, you can uh, find the link to donate to get involved as a volunteer or to request help. So go over and do that. We've had over a thousand people sign up to uh, volunteer. So we're kind of working our way through that list getting people rolled into the program, trained trained and onboarded as quickly as possible. Um, but yeah, we've, we know that like the state is talking about reopening uh, in the next two to six weeks in like baby steps, as Garcetti said. Um, but what that's actually going to look like, we're waiting to find out. Um, but even once that happens, like once the state reopens, we know that those millions of jobs that were lost are not coming back. We know that people are still going to be hurting and trying to be able to afford food and rent and all of that stuff. So the pain is not going to go away. We also know that there's probably going to be another wave of coronavirus deaths and like infections coming up in the next couple of months. So we have to be prepared to keep this mutual aid network rolling for a while. So, you know, we're strategizing how we can keep this program sustainable, how we can make sure that people have what they need and also make sure that like our volunteer core isn't burning itself out. So it's a lot of balls in the air, but it's been very, very rewarding. Fantastic. Uh, how about yourself, Chris? Yeah. How was, uh, how was your, week? uh, well, I did spend, uh, another marathon session on Wednesday, uh, live tweeting the city council meeting that was going on. Um, it was definitely not as uh, chaotic uh, or content full <laughs> as they have been in, in recent weeks. This was a, a shorter session uh, where not a lot of things actually happened. Um, Dr. Phil did officially get approval for his star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, though, which was one of the key 
uh, events. Why the fuck not? Well, so it was, it was interesting because there was a, a fun little discussion that I, I was uh, privy to that was going on about um, what exactly it is that Mitch O'Farrell seems to enjoy most about his time on the Los Angeles City Council. And honestly, it seems to be uh, his uh, gateway into being able to rub shoulders with the rich and famous when it comes to uh, you know fundraisers, but also more specifically opening up these damn stars on the walk of fame like that. There are so many images out there of him in all of his uh, flashy and multicolored suits hanging out right next to uh, movie stars, TV stars, whoever looking extremely smug and self-satisfied. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so the, you know, live tweeting that uh, got to actually go out and uh, be a participant in a, uh, in a filming and live streaming perspective uh, for our first topic of the day. Um, and, you know, just generally trying to survive in, in lockdown and realizing actually this morning that I have officially run out of coffee at home. So I'm definitely going to be making a trip over to the grocery store later today. That is, that is disastrous. I know. I don't know how I managed to let myself uh, get into this situation, but yet here I am. Uh, anyway, we're going to go ahead and jump into our first topic for the day. And, uh, Bushu, you want to kick us off talking about this? Yeah, so yesterday was obviously May Day, International Workers Day. Uh, interestingly enough, we do not have a May Day officially recognized here in the United States, even though May Day, International Workers Day, commemorates the Haymarket riots that happened in Chicago on May 4th. Um, May Day started here in the U.S., and instead of celebrating May Day, we have Labor Day, because the people in power can never let us enjoy the things that we built um, but across the world, there's a lot of protests, uh, a lot of actions, obviously a lot of social distancing in those protests, a lot of car protests here in L.A. It was no different. Uh, you headed out to Mayor Garcetti's yes. mansion because our mayor gets to live in a mansion uh, where he had a lot of visitors that day, um, as well as a lot of cops uh, greeting all of those visitors. So many cops. Um, we also had a big car caravan going down around SoFi Stadium, which is the new stadium being built in Inglewood, uh, going through South L.A. to protest the gentrification that's coming along with our new football team, even though the football season is probably not going to happen next year uh, because of, you know, the pandemic. Yep. But uh, there was a lot of action. So let's talk about what happened at Garcetti's uh, mansion. And then we'll talk about some of the other stuff that's been going on in the city around like Project Room Key and rent strikes and all that fun stuff. All right. So first whip up, we've got a clip actually from uh, for what for anybody that hasn't actually been to one of these things. I got to say it is uh, probably the single loudest experience I've had uh, outside of like going to an actual concert. It's, it's uh, very powerful and, and moving. Um, unfortunately, it did also mean that we weren't able to get a lot of good clips from when we had some testimonials going on, but we'll have to figure that trick out next time that there's another one of these protests. But uh, this is what it sounds like and looks like when you go to one of them. Of course, we had to turn down the audio a little bit so that it's not quite as overwhelming as it would have otherwise been, but... It was loud. <laughs> yeah, you had fun editing this one down, huh? So during this, um, basically, if you stood still for more than like 10 seconds, uh, a, an officer, like a sergeant or something, would come up and tell you basically that uh, you, you can't stand in front of any of the sing any single house for any real length of time. You must keep moving, which is based on what I don't know based on fucking what. But we were trying not to get citations um, there. There were a bunch of warnings that were given out, but there were no. No actual citations, man. This is 
Well, and this this also comes on the heel of uh, it's it's unclear whether Garcetti ordered the arrest of the preacher from or the pastor from uh, South LA or whether LAPD just decided to arrest the guy um, because he's been showing up at Garcetti's house like oh, yeah, yeah. routinely to protest against like the fact that Garcetti is not protecting renters and they they charged him with stalking, which like isn't how stalking fucking no. works. Like exercising your first amendment rights isn't stalking. And also he's showing up at the same address and standing out on a public sidewalk, not like trying to break into the house or anything. Uh, they also slapped him with $150,000 bail, which is kind of insane. He's been bailed out. He's, he's not being held anymore. Um, but it shows like LAPD is getting really vindictive about this shit. Yeah. And uh, also worth pointing out that uh, isn't technically the mayor's house public property seeing as it's owned by the city. I mean, it, no, it's a private residence. And there's another thing that we found out the last time, which is uh. if you're over on like Wilshire, then they can't really come after you for amplified sound because gotcha. Wilshire is obviously a major street. But if you go into like the other street um, that that borders the house, that's a private residential area where you're not allowed to have amplified sound. Um, so it's kind of selective enforcement there. But like there's some very stupid little like, you know, um, technocratic things in the law that LAPD is exploiting to try and, again, stop people from exercising their First Amendment rights. And again, it's one of these where Garcetti can make the protesters go away mm -hmm. uh, by just, like, canceling rent and making actual renter protections and doing what we want. But instead of doing that, he's trying to, it feels to me, get the city opened again so he can say, oh, no, everyone can pay rent. The jobs came back, even though none of those jobs are coming and back. That's that's one of the things that people have been talking about when it comes to these these um, the, the right wing protests about opening things up again. Uh, it does seem to be very much like a a a grassroots in the same perspective and scare quotes as the Tea Party movement when it comes to a it's actually being funded by, um, you know, dark money groups or whatever, kind of like what the Koch brothers were doing with the Tea Party, where the desire is to set us up with uh, getting things opened up, getting these government restrictions on business operations opened up, which would then force businesses to, you know, basically not be in compliance with uh, like state law anymore and have to open their businesses or otherwise go under because they're, they wouldn't be able to claim uh, you know, hardship for the fact that we're going through a pandemic anymore because the government would say, well, you could be open and the insurance company would say you should be open. And then the business owner is like, well, that's not like the moral or correct thing to do. Uh, you know, reopening this business ahead of time. It's, it's, it's absolutely absurd. So anyway, uh, yeah. bad people want well, to it's also, kill I've, I, I've also heard from uh, some small business owners in the Hollywood area, like around the ground game office, who have applied for the Paycheck Protection Program but not gotten it um, because they're either too small or all the money was taken up by bigger companies. Yeah. And now they're in a position where, like, they're not going to be able to pay rent. Their landlords don't want to negotiate with them. And for a lot of the staff, like, they're not really keen on coming back to work because unemployment is paying them more than their day job, which, which I don't think makes them lazy, but shows how little we fucking pay for work in this society. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it, this so this actually uh, this just triggered a memory from uh, Wednesday uh, live tweeting the the uh, city council meeting because there were a number of people who were calling in trying to get um, debt collection reclassified as an essential service uh, so that they could go. Yeah, I that that oh was exactly God. the response That's I was looking for. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it was it was absolutely surreal. And so they were there were like two or three of them that called in, and they were clearly reading from the same script. 
um, and just just offering this absolutely horrific take on how things should operate. Uh, there were Fucking there were also a couple of landlords that tried to call in and talk about you know how they're providing this service. There was a guy who balked at the concept of being called a landlord, even though he owns a duplex and also has a owns a commercial real estate uh, piece as well with like a small business in it. And it's just like, look, guys, we're talking about like, our demands are straightforward and simple. It's cancel the rent for everyone and cancel the mortgages for everyone. Like put everything on hold because nothing can work safely under the current circumstances. Just fucking cancel it. This is why Ilhan Omar's resolution to like the rent cancellation and, and mortgage relief act. Uh, I believe I got the title for that correct or close. It's it's such an incredibly important piece of legislation, and that's why like there were the the, the phone blasts that were going out um, this past Thursday to try to make sure that we get as many co-sponsors on board with that legislation as possible and move that forward. That's an incredibly important piece of legislation out of people's action in coordination with Ilhan Omar's office, of course, uh, because honestly, she's one of the most incredibly uh, you know powerful and progressive voices in Congress these days, uh, and uh, we stand for sure. Um, but anyway, let's get let's show a real quick clip of. Well, I was going to say, you know, I, I I think one thing that's that's really making me laugh about the landlord discourse oh, yeah. is their whole like we provide housing as though like if they stopped <laughs> oh, owning the we'll building, that this. building would like disincorporate. Oh, yeah. It would just like float off into the stratosphere and no one could live there anymore rather than like they're just an extraneous part of this equation. And like they're not producing fucking anything yep. um, and their their entry into this market actually makes it harder to produce housing because they're being greedy assholes about it, but that's just a random aside. So let's roll oh, into the we'll, next We'll clip. get into that in a minute, but uh, yeah, clip. Uh, banners. So this is what the banners looked like. Uh, it was great. Honestly, it was great. Yeah, there's some really good art out there. Like uh, the LA Tenants Union is really just rocking it with the, the mass direct actions. And then they also like, they also brought out some entertainment. Like it wasn't just people honking horns. They had some actual music going on. Yeah, they did. So this, uh, let's go ahead and just jump straight into that. There's a uh, yeah, some fun mariachi music going on. It's kind of hard to hear over the honking. Um, but these guys were great. <laughs> Yeah, so and it's weird that it's weird that mariachis aren't considered essential services, but debt collectors are trying to be considered essential <laughs> services. Just yeah, uh, that is very true. Um, at the end of that clip, you actually could hear a little bit of that extremely distorted audio. Um, somebody had a loudspeaker in their car uh, that was playing a looped, uh, like distorted voice track, talking about the basically just reciting the demands. Um, from the Los Angeles Tenants Union. I believe more specifically, this is uh, being put on by a group called the People's City Council, um, which we'll get into some more details with them at some point here. I'm really hoping that we can actually have uh, a member of the People's City Council come on and chat about that with us on this show. Uh, I know that we're probably also going to be getting them on uh, to talk. Ground Game Live on, on Wednesdays. Ground Game Live on Wednesdays, because that is going off uh, with, uh, great success, in my opinion. Um, also using the same software and uh, backgrounds and everything else that we're using at the moment. Um, but yeah, so let's the the context for why were people doing these protests? Aside from the obvious question, answer of like, uh, well, they need to choose to they're they're choosing to 
spend their money on food instead of spending their money on rent mm-hmm. because you need food to survive. Your landlord does not need your rent because they are not providing you an actual service. Uh, but we're going to get into it. So there's a, a great piece out on knock right now uh, from Jordan lyric. Uh, they joined up with ground game, not too long ago, specifically with the interest of writing pieces for knock. So I'm really excited to see what they're going to be producing here in the coming weeks and months. Uh, but this is an article about rent strike. And uh, it's odd that there's these, pol- there are these political cartoons from like the 1800s that are still extraordinarily relevant to this very day. Um, but let's go ahead and start reading a, a, a couple of bits uh, from Jordan's piece. And uh, you guys can just enjoy that lovely cartoon on the screen while we're here. Uh, so she starts there. They start out with um, May is almost here. And you know what that means? It's time to not pay your rent. There's all sorts of reasons why you might have still paid your rent in part or in full in April. Honestly, early April was a different world. And a lot of us weren't sure how much longer this crisis was going to last. Um, and that is extremely true. It's kind of shocking what kind of a a time warp it really does feel like we're in right now where, I mean, I I don't know about you, Bushido, but my, like every, this, the the weekly cycle now is really flattening out and getting, um, extremely difficult to tell which days are which anymore, unless it's like, no, I, I, it it literally didn't occur to me that May 1st meant that we are starting a new month because the last six weeks (laughs) have just, it, it just like it it boggled my mind when I realized that May is actually a separate month from April. Yeah, really. It, it's it's crazy. But uh, they continue. Uh, striking isn't only for the people most affected by an injustice. A one man strike says absolutely nothing. But a hundred people, a thousand people all standing together in solidarity. That sends a message not easily ignored. And it hits the establishment where it hurts right in the wallet. Uh, as so as Jordan tears into the arguments for and against going on a rent strike with their, my, my favorite part in the entire thing uh, ties right back to the comment about landlords. Uh, the, the question is big, but what about the landlords? Well, what about them? Landlords provide an essential service. Do they, though? You're right in saying that housing is more important than ever in a crisis where the best chance of staying safe is to shelter in place. But are landlords really providing that service? They didn't build the houses. Construction workers did that. They don't repair them, usually. Maintenance workers do that. They didn't create the land the house sits on. The earth did that. So what then do landlords actually provide? The answer is capital. And even then, not not really much capital. For a lot of these smaller, like, (laughs) mom and pop landlords, they're not actually using their own, like, liquidity. They're using their credit. They're essentially leasing you their credit as their leasee. Like, they, they go get a mortgage, they're paying off the building, so they're just leasing you their bigger access or their better access to like debt than you've got and then trying to parlay that into a profit. Yeah, and that that really is like is so fundamentally tied in with the uh white supremacist system that we live in because whiter people have better access to better credit, which is how you get the financing to buy the multifamily homes that you can then rent out to other people and you can become a vulture landlord and just milk that process on through without actually having to put in any real hard work. You're just managing some paperwork and destroying people's lives and collecting the wages that are earned off of their labor where they're actually doing backbreaking labor in a lot of circumstances. Uh, And in the case of the, during this time of crisis, they're putting their lives on the line to do this stuff. And the landlords are certainly not putting their lives on the line for 
doing their 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 work in scare quotes um so yeah it, it's just everyone should go read jordan's piece uh it's fantastic you get a chuckle and you get to see uh this great little cartoon again so fun times <laughs> uh but yeah so there's there there are other solutions you know because not everyone is able to get uh is is able to actually have permanent and secure housing uh even when it's a rent burden for themselves a lot of folks have ended up out on the streets and during a shelter in place order it's virtually impossible for someone who is having to live either on the streets uh unsheltered or in a tent which is not much better than being unsheltered uh it's it's almost impossible for them to avoid uh being exposed to this cri- to being exposed very much to this crisis and to anyone who could be an asymptomatic carrier we've seen insane numbers coming out of uh testing that's been done in homeless shelters specifically uh, up in San Francisco, as well as here in Los Angeles, where the number of people who are infected and uh, showing no signs of a fever or anything else is absolutely astronomical. So uh, there was a, a, a piece of a, a program that was introduced uh, recently called Project Room Key. Uh, and on Thursday, the, the LA Times editorial board published an editorial that was headlined, quote, the only heartbreak hotels during the pandemic are the ones that won't let homeless people in. Um, which this coming from the LA times is honestly, uh, that's saying something because this, they are not known yep. for being particularly, uh, bleeding heart liberals when it comes to virtually anything. Um, but quoting from the piece quote, project room key, as it's known, has resulted in more than two dozen hotels in Los Angeles County offering more than 2,600 rooms. It's not exactly charity work. The hotels get paid for three months of, uh, hotel of room rentals, uh, can put some of their staff back to work and get reimbursed by the County for any damage to their property. The Los Angeles homeless services authority selects the people who will stay in the hotels. Uh, so just for a little bit of context here about what the numbers look like, uh, Basically, the mayor has been taking a lot of credit for the program, saying that it is up and running the way it's supposed to and that they're being able to uh, get everyone who is asking for a room into a room um, and meeting this demand. But the. Um, so, hey, Chris, do you do you think that that is a, a reasonable assertion on the part of Garcetti? Uh, absolutely fucking not. Um, the the gra- there's a graph on the screen right now that shows that it's literally like flat. Uh, the, the total number of rooms that have been contracted is basically flat and, uh, it, it hasn't changed since the 28th. Uh, this is data from the first. Uh, so in three, three, uh, was that three days, four days? Yeah. They, they had not changed the number of rooms that are being contracted, but, uh, there are still tons of people out on the street. So no, Garcetti, it isn't working. Uh, so there's oh, conveniently, there is actually a way that you can track this information. Uh, on Twitter, it's a, a page called uh, at Room Key Tracker. Um, real creative there. You know, call it what it is. Uh, and they posted an update relevant for Los Angeles County's data, uh, which is the gr- which is part of the the graph that I'm showing up here on the Twitch stream. It says uh, 44,214 unsheltered people in Los Angeles County. 15,000 rooms have been promised. 2,206 rooms are currently under contract. 1,801 rooms are operational. 1,445 rooms are occupied. Um, yeah. So those don't match up. They don't even match up with what they were promising. Well, I mean, and this seems exactly like it's in line with what we've seen on Measure H and Measure HHH, where like the number of rooms that they're going to build 
decreases all the time. And even though they're trying to pull like some shady accounting tricks where they're like, oh, these affordable housing units that already exist, we're going to count those under like HHH, still isn't getting them anywhere near the 10,000 units on a city level or 10,000 units on a county level that we've been promised, which even then falls way short of the 60,000 people at least who need a fucking place to live. Yeah, um, this is a complete failure. Uh, I mean, it's great to see that there is some progress made on it. That there are some number of people, uh, apparently, you know, 1,445 rooms are currently occupied. That is, that is undeniably better than zero rooms occupied. But this really just points out the, the gross failures of Garcetti and of the county at handling this process. And, you know, cities getting all uh, upset about the fact that this is happening without their real purview. There was a, a bunch of exchanges between um, cities within the county getting upset that they were not being uh, properly informed mm -hmm. by county officials as they were going about this process, which is like, okay, well, it, it's, it's not your purview. You're, you weren't doing anything about it. The county's stepping in to do it. Quit complaining. Um, but the, getting back to the editorial from the LA Times, uh, they conclude their piece with uh, saying uh, the, this is two of the last three, two or three of two or two of the last three or four paragraphs. I forget exactly how much, but they say, quote, <coughs> excuse me there, uh, to which we ask, how do they deal with indulgent substance abusing rock stars and celebrities trashing hotel rooms? Bear in mind, the county is looking to house only elderly or medically vulnerable homeless people. And besides, it's supplying homeless services providers and security staff and pledging to cover any damage. Nevertheless, getting vulnerable homeless people off the streets is essential to preventing more outbreaks. There are nearly 59,000 homeless people in L.A. County. Uh, here are the choices. Homeless people living temporarily in a hotel near you or homeless people sick and dying on a sidewalk near you. And that's extremely uh, bleak and also extremely correct. Like, uh, cheers yeah. to the L.A. Times for getting right on point on this one and uh, very powerful editorial from them which is uh uh kind of outside of the norm for this kind of a thing and i'm just realizing well and this also this also comes just on the the heels of uh i believe the first confirmed death of an unhoused person in macarthur park from covid um who died on a bench there um and this was brought up by uh save macarthur park um but we we haven't really gotten a true count of how uh, the coronavirus is affecting people in Skid Row or the other unhoused encampments. Like, we're just not seeing those numbers. And we have no, like, I don't think that that person who died in MacArthur Park is the first unhoused individual to die. But they're the first one that we can officially say died. But so many people on the streets of LA die every day and every year that just kind of go uncounted and go unnoticed that there is a massive body count here that we're just not talking about. And even the, the city of Los Angeles and the, the state of California have had to admit that they have been undercounting deaths, especially when it turns out that our first recorded case of COVID-19 in the state was all the way back in February. You know, that's two months before we started doing anything about that. Yeah, so uh, let, let me see if I can... Oh, that, that doesn't matter. Um, let's see if this is going to show the piece that I wanted to. No, it's not. Okay. So apparently once I start streaming, I can't add, uh, videos to things because unfortunately I've got these, a couple of clips from, uh, the upcoming, uh, piece, which is, you know, some people are actually starting to take this into their own hands and have started doing, uh, very similar to what was going on, or I believe is still going on, uh, in El Sereno with the home reclaimers who are, taking back property that was seized by uh through eminent domain by the state of california with caltrans 
and they are taking these homes back and onboarding them, uh, moving back into them, performing repairs on them, doing the maintenance that has been totally neglected because Caltrans was planning on bulldozing them and building a freeway, the 710 continuation up north. Uh, but like 30 years yeah. ago, like the houses have just been sitting empty for 30 fucking years. And like Caltrans got all pissy with like the county of L.A. and has just decided in this like weird dispute to just sit on these houses, like 170 houses that are just sitting there empty when we have 60,000 people on the fucking street. Like it is just the the height of bureaucratic pettiness. Yes. And the fact that it's been allowed to go on for 30 fucking years Multiple governors, multiple state assemblies, multiple state senates, multiple L.A. mayors, multiple boards of supervisors, and no one has forced Caltrans to do anything with the houses is so fucking ridiculous. Like, I just I don't have a point there other than to be like, <laughs> I would pull out my hair if I had any left. Uh, well, you know, if you wait another couple of months and you don't uh, trim up too much of that mustache, you'll be able to pull out the mustache. But I would really recommend against doing that because it's a very painful process. Um, but this, so this ties in, there's a, there was a, an action yesterday at the Ritz Carlton in downtown where members of Streetwatch LA, uh, came in with one of the unhoused residents, um, from Echo Park Lake, uh, Devon, who has been, uh, an incredible voice in this entire process going back to well before the, uh, COVID crisis hit us. He was uh, just an incredible voice and leader within the uh, encampment there at Echo Park Lake. Uh, he took an incredibly bold move uh, yesterday alongside members of Streetwatch LA in reclaiming. Well, we should, we should, we should probably set up how they did this like heist movie style. Like they walked into the Ritz Carlton yeah. with Devon, who is uh, currently living at Echo Park Lake. And he's been one of the main unhoused folks who's been organizing that community yes. and fighting for their rights and pissing off Mitch O'Farrell. So him and a couple of other Streetwatch organizers got like dressed up real fancy and walked into the Ritz and were like, Devon, here's a famous musician and he'd like to rent several rooms. And the Ritz Carlton was like, oh, a black man in a suit who looks like he's got an entourage. My not racist brain tells me that he's a famous musician because black men with money are either musicians or athletes. So we can trust this. And then they let them into a room to see what it's like. And Streetwatch was like, surprise, motherfuckers, we live here now. <laughs> you may still see one man standing ahead, but I stand with all the people that have been killed by police officers, homeless, and I'm not homeless. I stand here with all the living ancestors asking Mayor Garcetti to come and dead and open up the vacancies before we all die. You want to six feet apart, but if Mayor Garcetti doesn't open up the hotels, we'll be six feet under and we'll be all die like the last post. Just open up your heart and listen, because we all be, bleed the same blood and beat the same heartbeat. Uh, yeah, basically that's exactly what happened. And uh, then the, uh, this, the, the hotel was refusing to call up um, the, I believe it was the, the LAPD who, was, who ended up coming in at the end. Well, LA, yeah, LAPD showed up, but they didn't want to make any arrests. Yes. Um, they they pushed that back because, I mean, it's the same thing that kind of like this happened when we went to protest. Um, uh, 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 oh, my God. Uh, PG&E up in San Francisco yeah, with yeah. Uh, DSA East Bay, where like they know that there's like a PR angle to this, right? That like having somebody frog marched out of the Ritz Carlton in look. handcuffs. Yeah, exactly. It looks bad. Like you're one of the most expensive hotels in downtown LA. You take 
millions of dollars in tax breaks every year. You're treated like a really necessary and essential business that, that city council absolutely loves. And to see you beating up on people who don't have money or even a place to live doesn't look good. I mean, also like LAPD brought in a, a guy with a beanbag gun. They didn't end up deploying it, but they were ready to deploy force. Right, and like those eclipse. beanbag guns, yeah, those beanbag guns can literally kill you. Mm. Like that is a kinetic round that even though it's just meant to like bruise you or like stop you, if that hits you in the heart at the wrong moment, it could kill yes. you. When they say like less lethal, they, they mean marginally less lethal. Like it's not guaranteed in any way to not kill you. Mayor Garcetti, you said you got a room for me, right? Where is it? Because the cops are on the way to arrest me for being homeless once again. They already framed me for battery, it might happen again. And they had a nice little green toy gun you look happy to use. So, talk to me. Commandeer or what? Commandeer or we will continue. My, my point here is that Devon and the folks from Streetwatch were incredibly brave and powerful in their, pro, in their protests yesterday. Uh, they did end up having uh, three of them were, were arrested. Um, they were all released on $0 bail last night, so they were able to get out pretty quickly. Uh, they were charged with trespassing. Um, I'm really... And, and misdemeanor trespassing. Yeah. So not super serious charges, but still, like, you have to show up for court. How that's going to work with the courts not being open for at least another six weeks is going to be interesting. Yeah. So uh, this is going to be... This is one of those things where... Um, uh, this is one of the strategies around doing the rent strike as well, is that it's like, okay... What are they going to do? They're going to try to evict you if you uh, go on a rent strike. Well, you're covered by the the current actions from the county and the city and all of that jazz. But on top of that, even if they did try to evict you, they can't. Like the the, the they can they if they try to file the paperwork in court, it can't go anywhere. The courts aren't open. None of this stuff is progressing. Everything is on hold. That's why all of the things should be on hold. All the rent should be on hold. All the mortgages should be on hold. Everything should be on hold. Just give us what we need to survive. Well, on that, well, on that subject, let's uh, let's go ahead and yeah. talk about what the motivating factor behind all of these protests and all of these problems is, which is obviously coronavirus, yeah. a.k.a. COVID-19. Uh, and uh, let's talk about the numbers because they're not actually looking better for L.A. They're looking slightly better for the state. We've seen San Francisco uh, doing a lot better, and it seems like they are seeing a market decrease week over week. Uh, LA County is not seeing that yet. So it's a little scary that like Eric Garcetti is saying in the next two weeks, we're going to start opening up the city. I, yeah, I think Eric needs to uh, listen to more epidemiologists. So uh, open up your hotel to the unhoused, yeah, Eric. That, Fuck that you. Too. Absolutely. So as of 10 p.m. last night, there are currently 52,237 confirmed cases of COVID-19 in the state of California, which is up uh, 10,899 from uh, this time last week. Uh, just for a bit of reference, last week it jumped by 11,913, so there is a slight decrease in the number of new cases over the past week uh, than there was the week before. So you can actually see that here in the the visual that I've got up on the stream, uh, which is the new cases by day with, with the line is that's uh, following those spikes is the seven-day average, uh, which is a, uh, a much better indicator of how the, the disease is progressing as far as running rampant through the county of or the the state of california and specifically the county of los angeles um there's also next graphic we've got the deaths by day uh indicator which 
is that's brutal. Yeah. So we we've now had uh, two thousand one hundred thirty four deaths in the state uh, due to the virus. Ninety of them came on Friday. Uh, you can actually see there's this cyclical reporting structure. Uh, it appears to be the Sundays are the lowest number of reports for deaths. Um, and then there's always a spike then on Monday after, or, you know, it, and it continues to, uh, ride this very bizarre trend for the weeks. Uh, fortunately it looks like we've kind of flattened out as far as deaths by day are concerned when it comes to the state of California, but we've got a bit of an issue here in LA County. So if you look at all of the County data, uh, we are still currently the one County that is closest to the, uh, the doubling every three days category. We are still not quite into the doubling every week category when it comes to the new case count. Um, and I mean, it's very clear when you look at the number of confirmed cases that LA County is far and away the, the worst, but it's also clear to anyone who knows anything about California geography that the County of Los Angeles contains something like 20 ish percent, more than 20% of the entire population of the state of California. Uh, which it's, explains why we would have such a high representation there. But to isolate that one here, so you can actually see L.A. County is uh, absolutely the one that is by far the closest to that trend line of doubling every three days versus uh, doubling every week. Um, and, uh, you know, we're, we're making progress toward the doubling every week, but it's, it's pretty bad. So uh, when it comes to the actual per capita, we're talking about in terms of the uh, infection rates per 100,000 people, uh, County of Los Angeles is sitting high and above everyone else with around 240.3 people per 100,000 uh, reported and confirmed as new cases. Uh, next up behind us is, uh, is actually Riverside. So right next door in Riverside County, they're at 171 per 100,000. Uh, and then trailing after that is San Mateo. Uh, and then Santa Clara and uh, San Diego, uh, making up the top five when it comes to uh, incidents per 100,000. Uh, we, of course, do make up the highest death count per 100,000 people as well. We have a staggering 1,174 deaths here in the county of Los Angeles, which is uh, something almost 10 times as many as you see pretty much anywhere else. But in terms of per 100,000, we're at 11.6 per 100,000, whereas the next closest, again, Riverside, is at 6.5. So we're still... Uh, almost double uh, the number, the, the, the rates of death compared to Riverside. Um, and it's just absolutely devastating. So that is uh, the sad news of where we're at in terms of dealing with this uh, crisis. So uh, please, Garcetti, um, don't try to reopen things right now. This is not working. Yeah. So let's, uh, yeah, and if you're in, like, Huntington Beach, just stay the fuck home. Like, the beach oh, is yeah. going to be there in six weeks. It's not, Christ. the beaches aren't going anywhere, folks. They'll, it, it's going to take a couple of decades for uh, sea level rise to do away with your beaches. <laughs> you got time. You know, like, let's not, let's not forget, like, the climate crisis is the next once we get through this one. But before we get too dark, uh, let's go ahead and talk about uh, one of President Trump's favorite conspiracies that's been coming out. Yeah. Uh, and it's been making the, the rounds on the right wing kind of like blogosphere for a few months ever since this started happening. And you know, like we mentioned uh, a couple of episodes ago, and it turns out we were wrong, actually. Uh, it turns out that um, the original like 1918 flu didn't actually come from Kansas City. They actually think it came from uh, a wet market in New York. Huh. Um, that there was, there were two different strains of the influenza and the one out of New York was actually the deadlier one. The one out of Kansas wasn't as deadly. 
Um, so it was kind of like two variations on the, the same influenza. But Whoops. Uh, as we mentioned, you know, it got labeled the Spanish flu, not because it had anything to do with Spain, but because, you know, the U.S. didn't want to look bad. Uh, and so President Trump and other, you know, racist shitbags and xenophobic shitbags have been calling this the Wuhan virus or the Wuhan flu. Yeah, and Biden's um, not been helping also- with this because he put out his fucking attack ad all about China and how he would have been tougher on China than Trump has been. But I digress. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so um, but part of that has just not it's not just being xenophobic, but they're also talking about how they believe that this is sort of a bioweapon or a human engineered virus that uh, escaped a lab and then infected people, which the people who actually have studied the virus and looked at it are pretty certain that this is a naturally occurring virus. That This is the sort of thing that happens rarely, but does happen in nature. That's where most of our plagues and pandemics come from, you know, be it flus, be it measles, be it smallpox, like those are diseases that came from animals and got um started infecting humans mm-hmm. and then caused a lot of stuff because like with smallpox or measles which are uh which originated in bovines you know fucking up a, a one-ton cow uh you can you can be a much more like robust virus but fucking up a human with those same mechanisms tends to kill doesn't the human out. which a virus doesn't want to do it doesn't want to kill the host because that makes it harder to spread but let's talk about uh what's been going on with this kind of laboratory conspiracy and then we're gonna like debunk it because like this is some bullshit and it needs to stop. Yeah. So, I mean, there are a bunch of people have been debunking this already, but we're going to you know, compile some of that stuff here and, and put it out for anyone who uh, is in any way concerned that maybe it is some kind of a Wuhan uh, germ factory released thing, uh, which it isn't. But uh, the, the U.S. National Intelligence Director's Office uh, said that it had determined that COVID-19 was, quote, was not man-made or genetically modified, end quote. So this is coming from the National Intelligence, Direct, National Intelligence Director's Office. Um, but during a, a press conference at the White House on Thursday, a reporter actually asked Trump about this topic directly and said, quote, have you seen anything at this point that gives you a high degree of confidence that the Wuhan Institute of Virology was the origin of this virus, end quote. Of course, the president then responded in his infinite wisdom, quote, yes, I have. Yes, I have. And I think the World Health Organization should be ashamed of themselves because they're like the public relations agency for China, end quote. Um, But at least this irrational bullshit flows both ways, as there is apparently a ministry spokesman who has repeatedly promoted the idea without evidence, of course, that COVID-19 might have originated here in the U.S. So bullshit flows both ways. Um, So what is it that is going on with this mysterious lab over in Wuhan and why are there all of these crackpots conspiracies coming out about it? So I'm just going to quote a little bit here from the BBC reporting on this topic. Quote, the Wuhan Institute of Virology, which was founded in the 1950s, houses China's first biosafety level four factory. Such labs handle the most dangerous pathogens for which there are few available vaccines or treatments. And one of the areas the Wuhan facility studies is coronavirus from bats. So, now, one of the one of the other things that's part of this conspiracy theory yes. is that people who work in the lab were trained in the U.S. and learned about how to deal with uh, coronavirus in U.S. labs that are like this. And also that the U.S. had some oversight over this lab up until 2017 when Donald Trump decided to cut funding and remove U.S. oversight over what was happening in this lab. <laughs> it's insane. Uh, they were actually trained at a very similar facility uh, in Lyon, France, and were trained by doctors in Lyon, France. Like, we weren't doing this shit. I don't know where these things are coming from for some of this stuff, but uh, let's get into it a little bit more. So where did these conspiracy theories first appear? Caleb Akarma over at Vanity Fair actually published a piece here on Thursday 
that succinctly lays out some of the chronology of this absolutely batshit theory. Um, and yeah, that was actually a, almost a pun and bad. I apologize. Um, quote, one of the first prominent voices to send this theory into the mainstream was Fox News host Tucker Carlson. Of course. Back on February 10th, Carlson speculated that COVID-19, quote, is not a naturally occurring virus, that it was somehow created by the Chinese government, end quote. Several days later, Senator Tom Cotton <laughs> entertained a similar idea in Fox News. Quote, we don't know where it originated. I hate that guy. I know, I know. We don't know where it originated, and we have to get to the bottom of that. We also know that just a few miles away from the food market is China's only biosafety level four super laboratory that resources, researches human infectious diseases, end quote. Jesus Christ. That's not what they do. Uh, said the Arkansas Republican, who in March was invited on Maria Bartom Bartiromo, sorry, uh, Fox business yep. show to elaborate on his speculation. By the way, uh, what do you think the odds are that uh, Tom Cotton is going to end up being the next Republican president of this country? Uh, I think fairly low. He's actually pretty incompetent okay. and doesn't play well on camera. That's like good. the the thing is though, like he doesn't need to be a president to maintain power. That's like true. being a senator is pretty fucking important. Like you're one of the most uh, the hundred most powerful people in the United States. You have access to all sorts of information, and mm -hmm. you also have like the bully pulpit. Like going on Fox News as Senator Tom Cotton uh, gives you on, a Arkansas. lot more. Yeah, well, and it, it gives you a lot more like you know sway yeah. in in uh, public opinion than just being like racist asshole who like went to Iraq <laughs> to kill people. Yeah. You know, like that Chiron doesn't really seem to grant you as much credibility. Yeah. So it's also like I think we it's it's somewhat scary that he's so young. Cause I think he's in his like late thirties. Like he's, th I think he's around my age. So like he could be around for a long fucking time, especially with this country's um, <sighs> penchant for like getting someone into the Senate and then letting them stay there for six decades. Yeah. That's, that's terrifying. Um, continuing from the vanity fair piece, uh, Cotton's theory was also pushed without evidence by Steve Bannon, the former Trump advisor <laughs> hosted uh, a guest during the February 21st edition of his radio show. Why does he have a radio show? who asserted that he had, he had, quote, no doubt uh, coronavirus is, quote, man-made creation. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Steve Bannon, whose, whose jobs were in finance and then producing movies, totally understands, like, virology, <laughs> totally understands epidemiology and the genetics behind it. Like, absolutely 100 per fucking Well, sense. I mean, it was the host. The, he wasn't the one saying those. He was his guest, but of course he didn't push back on any of it because he's like, yeah. an idiot. Uh, so in early March, Rush Limbaugh chimed in. Hooray! asking his massive audience rhetorically, quote, nothing like wiping out the entire U.S. economy with a bio threat from China, is there? End quote. Because the Chinese economy hasn't yeah. taken a hit. Like, the Chinese economy, like, is doing fucking fantastic. Like, offshore yuan didn't crash over the, the end of the week. Like, the Chinese economy isn't still, like, incredibly depressed. Um, 100%, exactly. Very smart. Also, on top of that, like, the Chinese economy and the U.S. economy are so incredibly intertwined at this point that if, like, them attacking us financially is like shooting themselves in the fucking foot. Like it doesn't benefit them to hobble us financially. It benefits them for us to be strong and robust financially and keep buying all their shit. Like that's well, and also provide a way for them to like invest their money. Oh, yeah. Because again, like the way that the dollar works is like China and Iran buy treasuries yep. and that's what allows us to print money. So like hey. none of this makes any fucking sense. Almost though these people don't understand how macroeconomics works. 
Of course they don't. Um, so anyway, uh, getting back to the topic of where this conspiracy bullshit starts, uh, on March 17th, an article was published by the scientific journal Nature Medicine, which is entitled uh, The Proximal Origin of SARS-CoV-2, uh, SARS-CoV-2 sorry, uh, which it, it debunks these claims. Um, the authors summarized their findings in the opening paragraphs as, quote, we offer a perspective on the notable features of the SARS-CoV-2 genome and discuss scenarios by which they could have arisen. Our analysis clearly shows that SARS-CoV-2 is not a laboratory construct or a purposefully manipulated virus. End quote. This is from a peer-reviewed, peer-reviewed scientific journal, uh, Nature Medicine, which, I mean, is like basically as good as you're going to be getting when it comes to uh, proof that this shit is not man-made. But... We'll continue. Uh, the authors of that article later concluded that, quote, we do not believe that any type of laboratory-based scenario is plausible, end quote. So the roots of the conspiracy are actually tied to virology research in bats at two infectious disease facilities that are located in the city of Wuhan, a city, by the way, that is home to over 11 million people. It is significantly larger than New York City and larger than all but seven U.S. states. So it makes sense that there would be multiple infectious disease centers in the city. It's a ton of fucking people. And this region of China was hit particularly badly by the SARS outbreak back in 2002, which again comes from the, like the, the, the SARS virus comes from uh, the coronavirus, which is carried by bats. Like these are all interlinked and it all makes a lot of sense for why they would be doing this stuff in Wuhan. And the whole point of having that kind of a facility there is to research these things before these kind of an outbreak, this kind of an outbreak happens which is exactly what you saw in Wuhan is, you know, that's why the research center is there is because it's there to stop this shit from happening. <sighs> so, uh, yeah, it makes sense for them to be there studying bat virology. So even Snopes is actually getting in on this story, publishing a piece that would debunk these conspiracy theories back on April 1st in their piece. They point out that, quote, the proximity of these labs to the uh, Huanan seafood market and these labs history with at least tangentially related infectious disease uh, research are the only factual elements of the created in a lab theory uh, that are undisputed rather than speculative or rooted in false scientific claims. It's all bullshit. It's all straight up yep. bullshit, but that hasn't stopped a whole bunch of people from pandering it and trying to sell themselves as the, you know, the purveyors of truth on all this stuff. Well, and also it's, it's led to a whole bunch of like racist and xenophobic oh, yeah. rhetoric about, you know, Chinese people eat weird stuff. And if they would just eat normal stuff like Americans, we we wouldn't have to deal with this, which ignores the fact that like some of the deadliest viruses that are still ravaging humanity, smallpox, uh, measles, all that stuff come from like cows and pigs and like animals that, yeah, we eat all the time. Yep. So it's not so much a matter of like what animals you're eating, but a way in which like we deal with farming and animal slaughter in not the healthiest ways. Oh, yeah. um, and also kind of raises questions about, you know, just how, like where factory farming and where meat eating really need to fit into the economy and how we need to deal with those on a health level, especially as we're seeing here in the U.S., like the meatpacking industry being decimated uh, by people who are getting sick with COVID because they work in incredibly shitty conditions because we don't take care of the people who are running that stuff. And it's not a stretch to see that kind of going across the world. Like, our food supply chains are not really that well guarded. And I think that's the bigger story that we're not talking oh, yeah. about here. And also the fact that like back in 2017, the Pentagon predicted that coronavirus could become a global pandemic because of like the way that it's evolving and the way that we don't have a lot of immunity to it. Um, and instead of doing something about that, the U S federal government and most of the world just kind of ignored it and went about their business. Like we weren't stockpiling the ventilators yep. and the masks and the stuff that we would need 
in order to deal with a pandemic or coming up with the plans in how to like rationally shut down an economy. So when the shit hit the fan, all we could do was like panic. Um, but let's uh, let's kind of keep the conspiracy theory train rolling here and uh, roll into this incredible deep dive that you've put together on one of my least favorite internet like news outlets. Though they do also print a paper, like they were printed paper before they're like an internet news outlet. But the Epoch Times, um, which is yep. a very curious anti-China newspaper, very pro-Trump lately. Um, you may have seen them like sitting around uh, L.A. They don't get like wide distribution, but I always remember seeing them like out by coffee shops on the west side in Venice and stuff, never really knowing who they were. Um, but as they've been popping up in my YouTube ads more and more and more, I have been curious, and you did a bunch of research on this one, so I'm just going to let yeah, you take this. Yeah, this is definitely one of those be-in-your-bonnet kind of situations. So, um, yeah, uh, so I'm, I'm sure you've seen all kinds of idiotic ramblings about this on Twitter, specifically Bushido, um, but we've both seen these repeating ads on YouTube for this newspaper that's claiming to provide the quote, the unvarnished truth in much the same way that Fox News provides their, quote, fair and balanced coverage that we've come to know and love. Uh, of course, this is the Epoch Times, which they weirdly pronounce as epic in some of their ads, which does make me chuckle whenever I see it um, while I, you know, am waiting frantically for the, the skip ad button to, to appear so I can actually smash that shit and stop hearing their bullshit. Um, but it turns out that they're actually pretty late to the game when it comes to noticing and getting get, that we, sorry, we're late to the game when it comes to noticing and getting utterly fed up with these ads. The New York Times actually published a bit of an expose on the group by Kevin Roos at the beginning of February. So here is a key paragraph from uh, Roos's reporting. Quote, the Epoch Times is one of the most mysterious fixtures of the pro-Trump media universe. It was started 20 years ago as a print newspaper by practitioners of Falun Gong, the persecuted Chinese spiritual practice. In recent years, the paper has made inroads into the top Republican circles. Mr. Trump and his advisors have shared Epoch Times articles on their social media accounts. And last year, Laura Trump, the president's daughter-in-law, sat for an interview with the Epoch Times editor, Representative Paul Gosar, a Republican from Arizona. And he called it, uh, or rather, and she called it, quote, our favorite paper. Uh... Or rather, no, that's, sorry, that's, that's Paul Gosar is the one who called it our favorite paper, which, uh, sorry for confusing that a little bit there. Um, so, fun little detail here is that the paper apparently spent over a million dollars on Facebook ads to push their product, but they ended up running afoul of advertising transparency rules there in August and were banned from the platform. Uh, they then turned their attention and advertising dollars over to YouTube, uh, where between August and February, they again spent over a million dollars pushing their product alongside video content of all sorts. I mean, this stuff is playing with videos that have absolutely no relevance whatsoever to their right-wing crazy bullshit agenda. It's just anything that they can get the clicks on, they're, they're, they're spamming it out there. Um, one of these more recent ads, which was published on April 20th, and we're going to play a clip for you from that ad shortly. Uh, so this piece was published on April 20th, and it already is over two and a quarter million views on YouTube because of just how hard they are pushing it out there. Uh, so let's go ahead and play that clip now. There goes the Epic Times.
this this shit's just insane. They have really high production values for like a really really weird organization. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so uh, Kevin Roos did some more digging on this YouTube ads bl- ad blitz and found uh, some very interesting information. Here's a bit more from his piece uh, that was published in The Times. Uh, quote, in addition, data from Pathmatics, a social media analytics firm, suggests that the Epoch Times YouTube spending increased sharply in the months after Facebook banned its ads and that its ads are reaching more people than many mainstream news organizations are. Gabe, yep, it gets better. Gabe Gottlieb, the uh, chief executive of Pathmatics, estimated that the outlook outlet's YouTube spending was quote higher than household names like the New York Times, CNN, Fox News, and the Wall Street Journal. End quote. In in an email exchange, Stephen Gregory, the publisher of the English language Epoch Times uh, in the United States, declined to comment on his YouTube budget or the number of its subscribers. He characterized the YouTube ads as quote profitable and said quote. We advertise on YouTube because the advertisements are effective at selling Epoch Times newspaper subscriptions, end quote. Uh, thank you for that wonderful uh, explanation of why you're doing what you're doing. Um, getting on to, there was a, uh, an August 2019 investigation, actually, from NBC News, which is where things start to get real fun here. Uh, and they published with the subheadline, quote, started almost two decades ago with a stated mission to, quote, provide information to Chinese communities to help immigrants assimilate into American society, end quote. The Epoch Times is uh, now, the Epoch Times now wields one of the biggest social media followings of any news outlet, end quote. Uh, And this is, of course, all down to those incredibly uh, stupid and uh, paranoid conspiracy ads that we keep seeing, and we just played you a clip from the most recent one. Uh, Here's some of the reporting from that article. Quote, behind the scenes, the media outlet's ownership and operation is closely tied to Falun Gong a Chinese spiritual community which, with a stated goal of taking down China's government. Former practitioners of Falun Gong told NBC News that believers think the world is headed toward a judgment day, where those labeled communists will be sent to a kind of hell, and those sympathetic to the spiritual community will be spared. Trump is viewed as a key ally in this anti-communist fight, former Epoch Times employees said. And we don't have a lot of time to get into like what's been going on with Falun Gong over the last like couple of decades, but yeah. they've they've suffered pretty harsh Absolutely. repression at the hands of the Chinese government. Uh, they used to stand outside the Chinese theater on Hollywood Boulevard, like by the Walk of Fame, um, in protest against the Chinese government with some really like wacky shit, where like they claim that um, Paleolithic graffiti from like tens of thousands of years ago um, foretells the fall of the Chinese Communist Party, and there's like. There's not really a good guy in this fight. Like, it seems like both the CCP and Falun Gong have, like, really questionable motives. Um, Yeah, it's it's really, really messed up. But it's also really weird that Falun Gong is so anti-China that they think Trump is, like, their savior. And you can see this in their messaging. Like, the Epoch Times severely changed tack when Trump won, especially when he was running on a very anti-China platform during the 2016 election. They really decided they took a liking to the guy. Um, And it's... You know, the enemy of my enemy is my friend is probably not the best way to run your spiritual movement. Um, But at the same time, like, they're definitely getting, like, a reputation out there. But it's also hard to tell how much of that is believable. During the protests in Hong Kong, one of their reporters got a lot of cachet for reporting, not always truthfully, about what was happening in Hong Kong and really stirring the pot and getting people excited over that. And that's another one where, like, the protests in Hong Kong are a little bit too complicated for us to get into here. but. As long as the CCP is on one side of an argument, Falun Gong will always be on the other side. Absolutely. So 
Uh, we need to get back to talking about other topics here, but I wanted to end this segment with another quote from the NBC article that brings in one of the extremely Los Angeles connections that I'm sure y'all have seen if you've ever spent any time driving on the 10 freeway east of downtown. Um, quote, the Epoch Media Group, along with Shen Yun, uh, a dance troupe known for its ubiquitous advertising and unsettling performances, make up the outreach effort of Falun Gong, a relatively new spiritual practice that combines ancient Chinese meditative exercises, mysticism, and often ultra-conservative cultural worldviews. Falun Gong's founder has referred to Epoch Media Group as, quote, our media, and the group's practice heavily informs the Epoch Times coverage, according to former employees who spoke with NBC News. Um, and just as a little bit of a point of reference there, if you watch the full ad uh, for the Epoch Times, they get, you can really, like, once you know what's going on here, you, you see what they're doing and you go, oh, that explains why those sections of the newspaper are, you know, the, the ones that they've chosen to lay out on this whiteboard that they're flipping over in the middle of this actually pretty highly produced ad. Uh, they've got some very clear, uh, like, they, 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 they talk about what it means to live a, um, a life of virtue as one of their sections that is in the newspaper. So uh, if you want a newspaper that's going to tell you how to live a virtuous life, highly recommend you uh, not subscribe to Epoch Times. Yeah, well, it's it's also it's interesting that we also have uh, Shen Yun pulled into this because I always assume that Shen Yun was like pro CCP. Uh, I've never been to a Shen Yun show, but this actually was news to me that they were in with Falun Gong and that they're actually part of this like media push to discredit and kind of tear down the Chinese government. Um, Learn something new every day. And also like, I kind of like the fact that they're doing it through the, the form of dance. Like that also gives it a kind of like, you know, makes it seem classy a little bit. Um, But that, that also explains why they're so tied in with the, um, more ancient history of China and trying to push that as something like very virtuous and very moral and something that we want to get back to, which is obviously a pushback against Mao's cultural revolution and the attempt for the Chinese party to be like, Hey, we've, we've had, you know, 3,500 years of very feudal hierarchical monarchical rule. We would really like to turn to something more modern, something um, more democratic uh, or not more democratic, but something more equitable. <laughs> yeah. um, I don't want to make it seem like the, the Chinese communist party is, is democratic in any way, shape or form. But you know, there was a hard break with Mao's revolution from the former Chinese history. And it seems like in the modern Chinese communist party, they have been getting more comfortable with allowing people to celebrate former Chinese history and see that as like a complete through line to Mao. Whereas before Mao was kind of sold as an absolute break with history. Um, but that has kind of changed. So it's interesting to see this fight over like who gets to contextualize the 3,500 years of China being the world's probably most prominent, I would call civilization state. You know, yeah. they were more than a nation state. Um, and they were, they were kind of, a, they're different than a, a, an empire like Rome or like the G- Greek city states, if not just because of how long that they've existed, how long that history goes back, but also the way that China has sort of existed as a, somewhat holistic thing in the minds of the people that live there, be it through linguistics, be it through culture and writing, be it through trade. Um, but it's it's like Chinese history is fascinating and deep and hard to contextualize. So it's interesting to watch two groups with very stark political agendas wrestle over who gets to decide what Chinese history means. Exactly. So um, it's, it's just an interesting uh, take on this. They, as, as you pointed out, they are very... Um, pro-Chinese history and culture and anti-Chinese uh, Communist Party. So it, it's just 
an interesting contextualization and in this whole uh, shtick for the Epoch Times is um, just gross pandering and uh, scaremongering and just disinformation that's being being spread out there for the benefit of only the uh, very select few and the disinformation of the masses. So uh, don't don't yeah. subscribe. And um, but you can laugh at their ads whenever they come up if you if you can stomach watching two minutes of extreme bullshit. Well, it's like. I- Every time I try and watch uh, like some more news or some yeah, yeah. like lefty YouTube channel I like, <laughs> they go ahead and like give me that bullshit, and it's really, 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 really weird. But and what the <laughs> hell is going on with our video in Skype? I don't know. It's being weird. Um, okay, cool. We're gonna. That's that's trippy. But yeah, let's uh while we while we dissolve into the matrix, <laughs> let's uh flip over to our last story of the day. Uh, which the the cold open at the top was obviously Jackie Lacey's <laughs> husband threatening to murder Dr. Melina Abdullah because yeah. she had the audacity to knock on her door. Uh, so let's um, let's talk about that because it looks like Jackie Lacey's husband might be facing some sanction from the state. Yeah, yeah so uh, it's interesting. Um, reading from the LA Times article on this piece, let's just dive into it that way. Quote, the California Attorney General's office is reviewing whether Los Angeles County District Attorney Jackie Lacey's husband committed a crime and should be should face prosecution for pointing a gun at protesters outside their home a day before her crucial primary election, officials said. Melina Abdullah, a Black Lives Matter organizer and Cal State L.A. professor who has long sparred with Lacey and the LAPD, that's putting it mildly, said she and two others <laughs> approached Lacey's door. Seconds later, Abdullah said she believed she heard a gun cock. Uh, video of the incident shows David Lacey answering the door with a firearm in one hand, demanding the protesters leave. Are you going to shoot me? Abdullah asks. I will shoot you. Get off my porch. David Lacey responds. Uh, I would like to play that clip, except that uh, OBS is not being cooperative. Um, but you can find it if you just search for Jasmine Canick, uh, And, you know, if you search for Jasmine Canick and Jackie Lacey and Twitter.com and in Google, you will absolutely find it as your first search result. Um, it, ha- she posted that, that clip around, uh, just before seven in the morning, uh, the day again, before the primary election. So just, uh, you know, two months ago now and attached to the clip, Canick tweeted, quote, this morning, Los Angeles district attorney, Jackie Lacey's husband pulled a gun out on black lives matter activists who protest, uh, who protested his wife in front of their house End quote. And that is literally what they were doing was there demanding an audience with Lacey because she's been promising to meet with protesters for a long time. And then just utterly failing to uh, follow through on that, along with any other meaningful uh, steps to provide any sense of actual justice when it comes to dealing with the Los Angeles Police Department or the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department and their use of force against um, specifically black and brown folks living in the city and the county. Um, Reporting more from uh, Essence.com, they said, quote, the district attorney has apologized for her husband's actions, saying that he had responded in fear, noting that she had received death threats throughout her campaign. His response, quote, his response was in fear. And now that he realizes what happened, he wanted me to say to the protesters, the person that he showed the gun to, that he was sorry, that he's profoundly sorry, that he, that he meant no one any harm, she said. And we know that Jackie Lacey will allow people that she's charging with crimes yep. to just walk away from, from that, right? To like, Walk into court and be like, yo, I'm really sorry. And her, her office just drops charges. Yep. That, that, that's uh, only if there's a cop. And even then, you know, they don't actually have to say they're sorry. Uh, because they never get any charges brought against them. 
Um, meanwhile, an attorney representing uh, Dr. Abdullah and two other protesters slammed David Lacey's actions as, quote, negligent use of force, end quote, which is oddly reminiscent of all those folks that Jackie Lacey likes to protect. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it'll be interesting to see. I don't think that he's going to face any actual criminal no. charges. Um, he'll probably have to give up the gun. Like, that's most likely what will happen. Um, and it's, I'm hoping this will be a bit of a, uh, an election issue because going into November, she's got a runoff against, uh, George Gascon. Yep. Um, you know, we were hoping that it would be Rachel Rossi, but Gascon would still be a market improvement over Jackie Lacey Absolutely. and a far more movable prosecutor and somebody at the head of that office that will probably, you know, push LA's prosecutors to be a little bit more just, I don't think we're getting a Larry Krasner yet. That would be the hope. Um, but let's not forget that in 2022, we also get to vote for the LA city attorney's office. So like. Those two seats control a lot of the criminal legal system and decide what happens to a lot of people and affect thousands and thousands of lives a year. Having people in those positions that care about our community, that actually care about police violence, would be a huge, huge step up, even if they're more milquetoast reformers. But having Lacey, who's just a rubber stamp for the cops, who's a rubber stamp for city policy, does not do any good for our city. So uh, that wraps us on pretty much the news for the week, I think. You want to... Yeah. Take us into uh, stuff that we can do for the week, which unfortunately, like everybody's social calendars are, are pretty light at the moment. But we do have a couple of things coming up. Yeah. So, again, we, we do have our weekly Zoom meetings here for Ground Game every Thursday at 730. Uh, we would love to see folks jumping in and, and joining up with us there. Uh, if you are interested, just go ahead and reach out to us through the usual channels. Uh, of course, we have our Instagram and our Twitter of at Ground Game L.A., and uh, you can find us on Facebook very easily. Just search for any of the stuff. I mean, if you're listening to this, you've definitely uh, been plugged in with our Facebook. But if you want to join us for a meeting, please do. We'd love to have you. Um, other events going on. There will probably, I mean, there, there absolutely will be ongoing protests, uh, car protests targeting various members of city council or the mayor while they continue to not take action on the uh, crisis in front of us. Uh, I'm excited to see there's, there's some potentially Good coverage coming up on Tuesday and Wednesday uh, in City Hall. One thing worth pointing out is that this coming week is the first time that we're going to actually have any committee meetings happening out of City Council. Um, the uh, gang reduction, public safety and gang reduction. Uh, Quarter million dollars a year to not do your yeah, job. Right? How the fuck do I get that gig? <laughs> be great. Uh, so they they are having their first committee meetings uh, this coming week. I believe it is Bob Blumenfeld is going to be chairing the committee, the, the um, public safety and gang reduction that's going to be, or public works, I guess, in gang reduction. I can never keep track of the names of all the committees. Um, but that committee is going to be meeting. They're the, they're the guinea pigs when it comes to uh, remote committee meetings. And uh, we'll get to see how that goes. It'll be interesting uh, to compare that to the uh, complete snafu that is a regular city council meeting. But we'll also be having more of those this week. We have for the first time since this crisis began, we're going to have two city council meetings next week. We're going to have one on Tuesday and then another one on Wednesday. And uh, Mike Bonin introduced some uh, provisions that are meant to track which hotels have received public benefits uh, from the city in terms of uh, tax breaks or public land or any number of other uh, grants from the government. And compiling that list is basically a way of publicly shaming hotels into complying with Project Roomkey. Uh, so that'll be up for discussion. I'm looking forward to that point. Uh, there are a number of other pieces that are going to be coming up, so uh, keep tuning in for that. Um, I will once again be live tweeting 
probably both of those meetings because I uh, love to self-flagellate when it comes to my Tuesday and Wednesday mornings. Uh, just spending that time sitting there listening to the same hold music over and over while Neri keeps saying, caller, we can't hear you next caller. Uh, good times, good times. Uh, if you would like to get more involved with what Los Angeles Tenants Union is doing, they're doing a great job of getting these Skype and Zoom meetings out there for folks to tune in. Learn more about how to protect yourself while your landlord is illegally trying to evict you because they can't fucking do that right now. You do not owe them rent. Do not pay them rent. Do not self-evict. Whatever you do, do not self-evict. That is what they want you to do because they will engage in fear tactics to try to push you out of your home. Um, but yeah, fuck those landlords. Uh, anything else that you want to be plugging here in Bushido before we roll out? No, I mean, I would say, you know, again, you can always head over to mutualaidla.org and uh, check out what we're doing with Mutual Aid LA. Uh, Also, you can always head to mutualaidhub.com and check out other mutual aid like organizations and networks that are popping up around the country. Uh, We are seeing a lot of growth, not just in our own network, but like across the country. And this is the kind of organizing that is going to allow us to survive the climate crisis and the coming crises. So if this is a time, if you've ever wanted to get involved in organizing, been curious, um, about what that is or what that looks like or how you can do that. Now's a good time to step into your own Absolutely. power. We're here to help reach out to us. And we'll get that rolling. 100%. So as always, if y'all have any events that you want us to be taking part in publicizing or just being made aware of, please send us a message. You can reach us through the ground game LA Facebook page. Uh, you can also find us on Twitter. You, you got both Bushido squirrel and Christopher Roth are the two Twitter handles for that. Uh, we are on there entirely too much and, uh, we probably should be stepping back from Twitter, but uh we'll never we're never going to stop posting or in my case reposting um this huh. podcast and every ground game podcast is a production of knock.la you can support our work over on patreon at patreon.com slash knock underscore la check out the descriptions for sources links to actions and social media links for all of this stuff and thank you once again for tuning in with us uh we really appreciate taking the time to listen to us ranting and raving about politics here in los angeles Remember, rage, rage against the dying of light. Do not go gentle into that good night. Have yourselves another safe and hopefully um, secure week, and we'll be back here next week. Thank Thank you all very much.
Thirty-one more. Thirty-one more. Thirty-one more. Thirty-one more.